0: Hello, beautiful people, and welcome back to episode number two of the Dr. Tracy Townsend podcast, where we explore medicine in all its forms from the science to the sacred and where media becomes medicine. My guest for this episode is Rebecca Fader. She's a dear sister of mine who has traversed the healing path for several years now and has gone especially deep in the past two years after receiving a life altering health diagnosis, leaving her job and then starting her own photography business Studio Nunci where she explores grief, intimacy, vulnerability and play through her lens. In this episode we explore leaving trauma bonds, hitting rock bottom and starting over as a single mom, learning the hard way how to listen to one's intuition, the mother wound, overcoming cancer, how cultural expectations can keep us from speaking our truth being in the receiving of help from one's community, documenting the death of her friend's child, how hiring a life coach has been crucial for her evolution, and how psychedelic medicine used in intentional ceremonies opened her up to love and community while integrating racial wounds. Without further ado, I hope you enjoy this wide-ranging conversation with Rebecca Fader. all right rebecca fader welcome to the podcast
1: thanks for having me
0: <laughs> i'm so excited to have you here for those of you who don't know rebecca she is one of my dear friends that i connected with very soon after landing in portland and uh, we are connected through a dear mutual friend of ours and she said hey, i have this other half Korean friend was looking to make other Hoppe friends. I feel like you two would get along. Why don't you meet up? And she's a mom. And yeah, we, the first time we met up, we met at the park with our kids, with a few other Hapa mom friends and their kids. So, uh, and it felt like really for the first time we met, we just had an instant connection.
1: Mm-hmm
0: just kindred spirits and wow even though our friendship is young in it you know in chronological time it just feels like you and I both have been just exploring the depths of sort of our healing processes and you've been through quite the you know quite the journey in the last year or two but also kind mm-hmm. of going back through kind of I would say maybe you in into your 20s and just adulthood and then of course exploring childhood stuff intergenerational things so um and and it's it's starting to come full circle it's a really beautiful thing to witness um so that's what we're kind of gonna kind of dive into today I want to start out with what does the healing journey mean to you and what has your healing journey looked like as it has unfolded
1: mm. there's so much to say on this topic um healing has just been the most central part of my life the last couple years and it all happened in 2020 after the pandemic started and i had just left a really toxic relationship and I hit rock bottom and that the ending of that relationship and everything else that was going on in the world was the catalyst for my healing journey. And it's really what broke me down. It broke me open and, um, hitting rock bottom is what allowed me to realize there's gotta be more than this. I cannot, live my life like this anymore. And there's got to be, there's got to be more out there. And that's really when I woke up and started focusing on myself and really just digging into what it means to heal, what it means to like myself, love myself, value myself. And so since the end of 2020, I had been um intentional intentionally single and just really focusing all of my time energy efforts on getting to know who I really am and that that journey happened with the help of so many resources that I pulled together um things like traditional talk therapy energy healing doing body work you know chiropractor massage and a ton of journaling starting a meditation practice all these things helped me along my healing journey but really it's all about it's been about just getting to know who I am on a deeper level and really knowing who that person is like what what makes up Rebecca who is she (laughs) so Um, it's been a really beautiful and also excruciating process to move through. And I'm just so thankful to be on this journey.
0: Wow. So the timing of it feels like something that could potentially resonate with a lot of people, with it being 2020 and coinciding with the pandemic, um, and that that being kind of you say almost like a wake up call to your life situation that maybe before you were able to be distracted from or not really um, paying attention to. There's a lot of other things to pay attention to in life. But then when, when the world sort of shut down now, all of a sudden, and you're with your, you know, your intimate family all day, every day, Things that you're maybe able to ignore before kind of start to come to a head, and you describe this sort of phenomenon of hitting rock bottom. And I think that also, I mean, that resonates with me. I think it would potentially resonate with a lot of people because I was just listening to another podcast earlier, earlier today about this idea of like when you wake up, this metaphor, or you know, if you're sleeping. And somebody comes in and sort of whispers and you're like time to wake up it's very easy to ignore that you know maybe they might gently shake you They're like okay wake up and it's easy to ignore that but then if someone comes in with a pot and pan and starts like banging on it right in your face that's really hard to ignore now all of a sudden you have to you're forced to make the change and so there's this concept of like a choiceless choice, like you had to, you had to make a choice, <clears throat> do something to change, make, make a pretty, not just a, but a, a few significant changes in your life. Um, do you want to sort of share more about what exactly, I mean, you talked about a toxic relationship. Can you share a little bit more about that? And then also, yeah, some other ways that you made pretty substantial changes in your life.
1: Yeah. And the metaphor you just described is exactly spot on for how I felt when I woke up. It was like the universe was like shaking me like crazy, like, hello, time to wake up. And I realized looking back now that I did have those whispers of, um, you know, they were all opportunities to make a different choice and make a change for myself. But I didn't listen and that was my intuition telling me this doesn't feel right that you know this isn't the right thing for you and I would just push past it um so yeah very much it was a very brutal and abrupt
0: (laughs) wake-up call
1: um yeah so I was in this long-term toxic relationship during COVID and Throughout that, um, I came up against a lot of challenges, and a big part of it was seeing the way that the world was unfolding and all of this stuff happening after George Floyd's murder and just feeling all the tension. Um, It brought up a lot of stuff for me about identity, and um, that was really aggravated by my relationship because... I'm biracial, and my partner at the time, is he was a white man, and he just could not meet me or understand um, racism in the way that I have understood it from lived experience, and that really pushed me to my edges, and it made it really hard during a time where I felt unsafe in my body as a woman, as an Asian person, um, it just brought up so many layers for me. And um, and then the relationship itself, it was just everything that I never would have wanted for myself and somehow I ended up in this situation. And now when I look back, I see that that was really the most radical manifestation of the relationship I had with my mom when I was growing up. It was just very abrasive and uh, very challenging and difficult. There was not a lot of empathy or connection. And um, I believe that that relationship dropped into my life to show me exactly what I didn't want and exactly what wasn't working for me so that I could make that change and have a very clear idea of what
0: Mm.
1: I wanted in the future and knowing what I wanted came from experiencing what I didn't want. So it was very, uh, a very potent experience for me.
0: Yeah, I think that that is something that I didn't learn until much later in adulthood that it's almost like our nervous system will is functioning in a particular kind of state and we tend to seek out the external environment or relationships that reflect that same state back to us that we're used to that we're familiar with and so um a lot of times if we didn't grow up with the best um parenting you know relationships or childhood environment Uh, we will unconsciously call in a similar relationship dynamics in our, um, in our partners. And it's not until, yeah, we go through this waking up process as you, you know, as you say, or um, we sort of become solely more conscious to maybe the possibility that there is another way that we recognize this and realize this and, and, but then recognizing it and then making the choice to break free from it there is that's a huge that's a huge leap to take how did you find the strength and the courage because you weren't just in a long-term relationship you were married for several years and you shared you shared a child together
1: mm-hmm. so
0: that that was the situation you're in where did you find the strength and the courage to actually leave that situation
1: i think it really was a culmination of everything i've experienced in the last eight years now um i've been in portland for almost eight years in my whole time here and also right before i left denver where i grew up um really has been this huge transition in my life a lot of really crucial things happen a lot of challenging things happened And it really was kicked off before I made the move out here when one of my best friends, her son died. And we had, you know, we went through our pregnancies together, gave birth two weeks apart. Our sons, you know, were growing up together. And um, I was there in the emergency room as their family said goodbye to their son. And that was really, that was like the first shaking of my soul that I felt on a very deep level. And I didn't know what that meant. And I'm still kind of figuring out what what role does that event play in my life. But that was really a big catalyst for all of this change and uprooting and challenges that were going to happen in my life. Um, so moving out to Portland with my six-month-old baby and my husband, um, the marriage just did not play out the way that I expected. Of course, nobody <laughs> goes into marriage thinking it's not going to last. But moving out here just really kind of stripped away a lot of layers in that relationship. And also becoming parents really helped me to realize a lot of things about our dynamic and um that it just wasn't right and that was one of the hardest decisions I've ever made in my life was to leave my marriage um and I think having the courage to do that it took me a year to build up the courage to make that decision and when I did it was like I can do this I can do hard things um And life was really hard after that. I mean, I had gone from owning my own home and having a whole life and community in Denver and a family to having nothing. It felt like becoming a single mom, starting a new job in a new industry, going um, from having my own home to living in a friend's spare bedroom and just starting completely from scratch. And so that was really like the foundation of the last seven to eight years of my life. And through this whole time, um, it's just shown me what I'm capable of and how beautiful life can be if I'm willing to make these big leaps of faith and make these really hard decisions, knowing that even though it's really fucking hard, it's also the right decision for me. And that's something that I've come up against many times. Um, and I'm going through right now, too, in my life. And I think having gone through that stuff, it just gave me, it gave me the courage to walk away from that toxic relationship, because even though it was coming from a trauma bonding wound and attachment, um, which is very strong, I knew that I couldn't live my life like This And it was up to me to make that choice. And no one else could make that choice for me. And at times it felt impossible. Um, And I just, I don't even know how I was able to do it. It was like my soul was, it was like gasping for air. And it was like, if you don't make this choice for yourself, you are going to die, whether it's literally or figuratively. I felt like I was dying Um, and I have felt this way multiple times throughout this um, the course of my adulthood and um, yeah it's like that process of dying and able to be reborn and to be a new version of myself which is a huge theme for me in the last few months that I've been going through another rebirth and I'm just realizing like it's the process that never ends and it's just the natural order of life.
0: Yes, that that idea of the ever unfolding expansion and contraction, expansion, contraction. Mother Nature shows us this day and night and the in-breath and the out-breath. That's just sort of the nature of our reality. And uh, sometimes it's being in resistance to that that pattern, that cycle that creates even more suffering um, than what we would otherwise be experiencing. And it sounds to me like that was maybe one of the first times you really exercised, you know, trusting your intuition, your inner knowing, your discernment about what was right for you, despite what society or maybe your family or your community might. Um, have been telling you at the time. So it was really sort of a, a like part of your hero's journey. That's the obstacle is actually finding your intuition, listening to your intu- intuition, and then choosing your intuition. What is your heart's inner knowing and truth? Yeah. And choosing that and, and actually following it. And that's huge. And as you say, like it's not like we'd face just one of these tests in our lifetime. That we, you know, life is all about presenting us these opportunities. And um, so that was sort of one big leap of faith that you took. And then and then you chose and it, it was quite destabilizing, it sounds like. And then you sort of found, got your feet underneath you. And I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about kind of, yeah, the years after that. So you kind of, um, you had this job and you got your own place, you're supporting yourself financially, co-parenting now. Mm-hmm. Uh and then sort of yeah, how how did those years unfold and then what was sort of the next challenge that you faced, the next big choice.
1: Wow, there was so much that happened in that time. Um I worked my way up the corporate ladder at my company and In doing so, I was able to get, you know, our own place and provide for my son and for myself. And um, I had a really significant person in my life at that time, my best friend. It was someone that I met out here at the airport (laughs) in baggage claim. It was just a very serendipitous meeting, and he was such a huge part of my life and a really big part of my exploration and unfolding as this new person as a person as a single person as um a woman who had never been outside of a monogamous relationship since high school and he really just brought so much joy to my life and that was a huge theme of these years of exploration was having fun being joyful, even being reckless at times and just being super adventurous in seeing what there was out there, what life had to offer. And um, it was a very challenging, but also just really amazing process of building myself up brick by brick. And I was, you know, building this foundation for myself in, you know, the physical world's And just in building relationships, building community out here in Portland. And that was huge for me, just having a support system of really wonderful people. And, um, you know, just as everything else in life, a season has to come to an end. And that was a really beautiful season of my life. And that came, started to kind of come to an end over a year ago where that relationship um, evolved as I was evolving on my healing journey and just realizing things about myself and the role I played in my relationships and how the inner child in me, my wounded child, was making decisions for me and I didn't want that for myself anymore. So there There were some big transitions there. That relationship no longer was a central part of my life, which was really pivotal for me. Um, And also just in the last year, it's been this unfolding where it's like everything in my life up until this point has been positioning me to really step onto my life path. And I think that really started well maybe it started years ago. It's all steps toward this path, but I really felt the big change in the last year when I started to have health issues and I was so miserable at my job. I I was so unhappy, but I didn't know where to go. I was looking for jobs, nothing felt like the right fit, and I just had this such fear that I If I left this job, I wouldn't have stability. I wouldn't be able to support myself and my child and was really living in scarcity. And as I moved through this health journey last year and, you know, had so many doctor's appointments and mystery symptoms, and it was just like tumbling down this rabbit hole. And it was a really scary time for me because I've never had health issues I don't even have allergies like I've always been a very healthy person and so suddenly to have all these physical symptoms and barely being able to function um it was really hard and it was really scary and got to the point after eight months of waiting for answers and going through all these tests and doctor visits where I was told it's probably cancer. Um, It's probably thyroid cancer, but we can't know for sure until we operate and remove your thyroid. Um, And that scared the shit out of me. (laughs) I've never had surgery. It's something I've always been really afraid of. And it was a huge decision to go through with this surgery, not knowing if it was necessary and knowing that I could go through with this major spaying and it could come back as, oh no, it's not, it's not cancer, but there was no way to know. So I made the decision to have surgery. As you know, you were actually a really big part in helping me accept this decision that I made for myself and really helping me feel at ease with this decision. And, um, And I'm glad I did it because it turns out I did have cancer and that was a huge shock for me too. And I really believe that my unhappiness in my job and in my life really manifested in my body, but specifically in my throat, because a big theme for me throughout my life has been not speaking my truth, not advocating for myself, um, swallowing my words, always trying to blend in and not make a scene. And a lot of this has to do with my childhood conditioning, with cultural expectations, expectations as a woman. I just really felt all of this weight on me. And I could feel that it manifested in me. It got stuck in my throat and had to be surgically removed. And that Was another big wake up call for me and made me realize I can't live my life like this anymore. I can't, I can't not live in my truth. I can't not speak my truth. And so I made the decision to leave my corporate job, which was terrifying. And that's another decision that I grappled with for months um, because I had so much fear around how I was going to support myself. How would we survive? You know, I have all of these expenses. I have a child. How how can I make this work? And I finally made the decision to leave, and I have just, I have never questioned that decision. I am so thrilled and proud of myself for advocating for myself in that moment, even even though I didn't know where the path would take me, but just knowing it was the right decision at that time. And I'm realizing that that's how intuition works. It doesn't tell you, you know, do this and then all these things are going to happen. It's not giving you this roadmap. It's literally just one step at a time. It's whispers from the universe telling you, you need to go this way or you need to do... This thing. And if you listen, you'll be rewarded with another whisper that continues on the path that's meant for you. And so I've been learning this really hard way through my physical health and through my career. And I'm really thankful for all of those things that happened because now I'm doing what I've always wanted to do, which is photography. I've loved photography since high school. And That really gave me the courage and opportunity to jump into my photography business full-time and truly invest in myself, bet on myself, and give myself the chance I know that I deserve, but I had never given myself up until that point. And it took me, you know, having a brush with death or just really questioning my mortality and wondering Am I not going to be here much longer? And if that's the case, is this how I want to live my life? Is this the legacy I want to leave behind working on a job that I hate that isn't the right fit for me, where I'm not helping people in the way that I want to? Um, And that was really valuable information for me to have. So I'm really glad that it unfolded the way that it did.
0: Yeah, the it's a it's really fascinating too how initially, the corporate job provided you that stability piece, right as you're majorly destabilizing in another area of your life, and it really provided you uh, with what you needed at the time. Mm -hmm. And but what is initially adaptive can eventually become maladaptive. And so there were you evolved as a person, and, you know, and then the job evolves and then your relationship to the work and the job is also evolving. And it became something that, yeah, that was sucking the life out of you almost literally. And so it was manifesting. Um, at the, So I believe this so wholeheartedly that, you know, that dis-ease in, in your life will, will manifest as a physical symptom and so and to look at it as just a physical symptom a physical you know oh i have this um this tumor or these tumors in my thyroid and what could that be from and it, it, it's it's so multidimensional multi-layered um how the physical uh intersects with the emotional and the mental and psychospiritual it's been really beautiful to sort of to witness and hold space for you as you as you moved through all of that Um, so bravely um, and with such grace and also just the way that you were able to really call on your community to support you during that time Um, how it was beautiful to witness how it's so clear what you've been cultivating all these years that you've been living here these beautiful souls who show up to hold you and, uh, and support you in that into and, and to watch you receive it to be able to receive it and be humbled by that. Um, and there were other things going on too with your family with your mother moving through her own health things. And so it was, it's been quite a tumultuous time. Um, but you you made the decision to leave the job and to pursue your heart's desire which is this going back to an original love of your sort of a first love which is photography uh and like you say that your intuition doesn't show you the next 20 steps it only shows you the next one step and and you'll always be fighting between your head and your heart every step of the way in life uh but each time you choose to follow your heart it has shown you so far that it doesn't fail you, so you so you've gone back to this love of photography. Can you sort of tell us more about when when your photography journey be, first began and how it is unfolding now?
1: Yeah, it dates back a long time ago um to when I was fifteen and i'm thirty five now so I started with this dinky little plastic camera, digital camera I would carry around with me at school and all my friends would be annoyed with me because I was just constantly taking pictures and documenting everything. And then I really fell in love with it in my high school photography class where I learned how to develop my own film and work in the dark room. And that really, that really activated this love within me. And, um, I ended up going to college for photojournalism and criminal justice and that was my background and I had this this fantasy that I was going to travel the world and I was going to you know document all these injustices happening around the globe and show people back home what was happening so that we could affect change together and that was that was the vision I had for myself going through college and the time that I was in school, technology was really evolving rapidly. And by the time I graduated, that wasn't really a thing as much as it was in the past because everyone had access to cell phones and there was social media and people were sharing and you didn't need to be a journalist to share something that was happening. Um, You know, if there is a protest or some social injustice. You didn't need to be sent there as a journalist. I mean, everybody on the ground became a journalist, essentially. So that really changed um, the trajectory. So I took a step back and, um, you know, I I played around with photography in different ways. I did food photography in Denver for years, which was really fun. And food is a really big passion of mine. And um, that was a really fun way to utilize my skills. But as I was getting ready to move out here and my friend's son died, um, photography was really wrapped up in that situation because before her son passed away, I had shot a lot of family photos for them. I did their wedding engagement. You know, over the years I had done a lot of shoots for them and her ask of me when her son died was for me to come to the hospital and take their last family photos together. And so I rushed there with my camera and I took pictures of them saying goodbye. You know, he had already passed away, but they were holding him. And I witnessed that and I documented that for them. And even to this day, my friend tells me that, you know, those photos mean everything to her. And, um, I'm so glad that I was able to do that for them and document that moment, even though it was horrendous and burned into my memory forever. It was such an honor to be a part of their process and their experience. But after that, I just could not bring myself to touch my camera. So it sat in my closet for three years after collecting dust. And I really felt like, That's the end. I'm not interested in photography anymore. And I really felt like, you know, if all of my training and time spent doing photography led up to that moment where I was documenting that experience for my friends' family, then it was all worth it. And I can be at ease knowing that I did something that was really important for them and really meaningful. And I made peace with that. But I think a part of me always felt like maybe there could be more. But I think because I was I felt so much pain that it was too scary for me to think about it and to really explore that. So. It just I don't even remember what. Uh, triggered me to start doing photography again but just slowly you know people would ask me about it are you still doing photography oh do you want to do this shoot um you know it's kind of like the universe was slowly starting to pull me out of this hole that I was in and I just started playing here and there with it and um it's just been a very slow very slow gradual opening opening back up to the idea of photography and um accepting that I still have this desire and passion for it and really what I think draws me to it is because I'm a visual person obviously it's just such a useful tool in examining the world around you and capturing moments that are frozen forever in a frame and it's just such a unique way to explore so many things and to connect with people and to meet people and so i was kind of playing around with um you know just fun shoots with friends and doing things here and there and i never really thought about having my own photography business seriously and when everything happened with my health and my corporate job, it just felt like it was the only only thing to do. It was the only place to go was photography and to dive into my photography business. And it's been interesting because even though that was just last year, you know, photography is what pulled me onto this path out of this very traditional career trajectory and life that I had been building for myself. And even now I can feel it evolving where it's like, yes, I love photography still, but it doesn't feel like this is the only thing for me and the only thing I should be doing right now. And that is a big part of my exploration right now is where is photography leading me? What other doors is it opening up for me? Uh, And it's just been this really beautiful, constant evolution. And I just feel the muse calling me through photography and just pulling me. I don't know where yet, but I know it'll be it'll be
0: exactly where I need to be. So beautiful. And through this process also of transitioning from your corporate job and reawakening this love of photography again and actually transforming it into also a a business, um, and a sort of a more formal career, you also hired a coach. And so I wanted to ask you more about how you came into the coaching relationship, what went into the decision to work with a coach? How long were you working with a coach? And what did you get out of that experience?
1: Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because my life coach has been really crucial in my evolution. And um, I met her because I was a part of a group journey. So it was a small group of friends and I only knew a handful of the friends, but I was invited into this group to do um, some psychedelic medicine work. And it was a container that we opened very intentionally, and um, we did several different journeys last year, and the first journey we did was when I met my friend, and this was a, a total stranger to me, and we were all dropping in together on this really epic medicine journey, and I... Was so drawn to her because during that journey, she really, we were all expressing our true selves and just being like super silly and goofy. And I, you know, I had expressed some really vulnerable things about myself. And she was just so tender and kind to me and caressing me, playing with my hair, singing to me. And then I saw her her like wild woman feminine divine energy come out and that was the first time i've truly witnessed and experienced the energy of the goddess and she just embodied this powerful powerful energy where she was just so comfortable in her skin and all the ways and just loving herself and it was like she was pure light, pure love, pure power. And I was so taken by this energy and just so blown away by, by how she was embodying this energy. And I just fell in love and I was like, I need this energy in my life. And after that first journey, um, you know, I was reflecting this back to her and just told her how much I admired admired her and just was so touched by her love and her energy. And she said, oh, by the way, did you know I'm a woman's coach? I work with women creatives to help them align with their sole purpose. And I'm like, wow, <laughs> that's perfect and exactly what I need. And um, making that decision to work with her I knew that I wanted to work with her, but the financial investment was huge for me. And I'd never made that kind of investment in myself before. And that was a really big leap of faith. And it was scary for me because on paper, it didn't make sense. But in my heart, I knew that this was the person I needed who was going to guide me on this next leg of my journey. So I made the choice to do coaching with her. And it's a nine month program. And I'm actually in my in the home stretch, I have five sessions left. We started last summer, and she has really helped me just kind of dig in to my own well of feminine energy and really learning how sacred that is, and just exploring all the things that go with that and a big part of that is doing inner child work and really examining this mother wound I have, this abandonment wound attached to my mom due to the relationship that we had and um, just realizing how interconnected it all is and how in healing that I'm really able to step into my power more. And she's just taught me so much about how to move through the spiritual journey and how i want to embody my own feminine energy so she has been just a really beautiful guiding light for me
0: amazing so and yeah that is also just something that it's not it's not something i would say coaching or this idea of investing in yourself through working with a coach is a relatively new phenomenon and I think it's easy to sort of dismiss what a coach can really unlock for you. And we know that executives of Fortune 500 companies, they all have executive coaches. Like it's not, you know, it's something that is definitely, it, it yields tangible results, but there can be so much resistance, especially with the, with the financial, not just the financial aspect, but I would also say with the time investment too, because you're just really committing to mm-hmm. holding yourself accountable to changes that you're looking to actually make in your life. While it might not make sense on on paper initially, just what you end up your return on that investment is comes back to you tenfold, really, in the mm-hmm. way that it changes how you how you move through life and what gets reflected back to you. I've I've had my own very transformational experiences working with coaches. And yeah, I can't can't recommend them enough when you and the important thing is to find someone that you just deeply resonate with and who reflects back to you exactly what you know where you're looking to step up and level up in your life and you mentioned in that story too just this idea of working with psychedelics as medicines in intentional ceremonial format. Can you tell us a little bit more about your your journey with working with psychedelics as medicine?
1: Yeah. Um, the journeys I did last year was the first time I was in a group setting, doing it very intentionally. But just in the last few years, I started to dabble um, with psychedelics, just recreationally, um, you know, microdosing and just exploring it. Um, I don't like to say I'm a late bloomer because everyone has their own path and their own timeline, but compared to traditional society, um, you know, I didn't really have interest in exploring these kinds of things until just the last two years of my life. I mean, when I was in high school, college, even after that, I was very um, conservative um, and not being interested in drinking, even smoking weed, things like that. I was just very kind of straight-laced and focused on getting good grades. And that was really my priority. And so as I have played with psychedelics, every single time I did it, it was such an amazing, eye-opening, heart-opening experience. And I had so many epiphanies. And I was only doing it like once or twice a year. And so to me, it was like this very special occasion that I treated with reverence. And it was like, okay, I'm gonna do this. And I'm gonna have all these realizations about my life. And it's gonna help guide me to wherever I need to go next. And, um, you know, it helped me get out of a Um, romantic situationship years ago that I didn't even want to be in but just (laughs) didn't have the courage to leave and um, it helped me realize that I needed to leave my job and this was even before I found out I had cancer Um, but it was just it played a big part in helping me realize and accept it in a Something that I've always appreciated about psychedelics is that, for me, it feels like it pulls the veil off of my eyes, so I can see things from a higher perspective, and I just have so much clarity, and it removes all the fear, and it just shows me this is the truth. There's no fear or pain attached to it. It's the truth, and it's all love, and it's just been so transformational for me every time. And so when I was approached with this opportunity to be a part of a group journey, I was really excited because i had never done it in this container where, you know, everyone had the intention of self-exploration and healing and community. And that was such powerful medicine for me in my life. And especially as I was going through this health journey, um, that group of people really became my family. They were my soul family. And they provided me with such a strong foundation to get through one of the hardest times of my life. And um, it's just been such an incredible experience to have. And it's changed my life. And I feel like You know, if everybody had the opportunity to be a part of something like that, it would be really transformational for them, not just in the sense of getting to know themselves and exploring the depths of their own being, but also feeling held in community is so important. And I really found that out last year, how important it is, how powerful it is, and how you know, when we have community, we all we all play a part in contributing. We all have the time where we need to be held and receive and then the time where we can give and hold others. And that has really changed my perspective on how I live my life. And it really taught me the importance of receiving, which you mentioned before, Witnessing me receiving, that was a really painful lesson for me and really challenging because I have always wanted to give but have never opened myself up to receive because it just didn't felt right. I didn't feel deserving or worthy of it. And having that community helped ease me into accepting receiving and just feeling held and it it's been a really beautiful experience
0: the magic that happens in a group setting is really hard to convey with words i feel like it's something that feels very primal to me that reciprocity you describe where you know each and every member of the group is contributing and co-creating in this in this energetic way and then that also allows you to just there's a way to just drop into this just really deep connection when your ego defenses are totally offline and allows for a deepening of connection and, and relationship friendship that extends well past that ceremony that group setting and then you can call on those people and feel safe to receive because you feel Mm -hmm. like they are giving from a place of that undistorted love. It's not the way that we maybe come into relationships in other areas of our life where it can sometimes feel transactional or like there are strings attached or you just don't feel comfortable enough to actually be vulnerable enough to to receive, and I also think that that there's echoes of the mother wound in that dynamic as well. The inability to receive, to be mm. in this sort of this, you know, like taking on this sort of martyr complex that we maybe have seen mothers in generations before us who just there was no concept of self care or investing in oneself or filling one's own cup before trying to fill up the cups of the loved ones around you. Um, and we see what giving from a depleted place looks like. I mean, mm-hmm. it leads to a lot of resentment and um, and we just end up playing out that conditioning. That's what intergenerational trauma really is, just like reset, recycling those patterns that were inherited before that generation and probably the generation before there's been so much that we are processing on a collective and an individual family level. But we're doing it, we're (laughs) we're we're inventing these new ways. Definitely psychedelics have helped in that capacity too. And so now moving through this, also I wanted to touch back on that, this idea around identity and cultural or racial identity your identity as a biracial woman, as an Asian woman, but also Caucasian, like how an American, all of these different identities. Where are you these days in terms of your identity?
1: Ooh, that's a loaded question. I feel like right now, my current state is feeling pretty comfortable in my skin, in my identity, in I think part of that comfort comes from being detached to from my identity and looking at it as more of a fluid state rather than something that's static. And um yes, I have these, you know, cultural and physical traits that obviously tie me to an identity. And really the biggest theme for me throughout my life as A biracial person um, growing up in America. I mean, my dad is a Polish-Hungarian Jew. My mom is Korean. My mom came here from Korea and left her entire family behind. And both of my dad's parents were immigrants and, you know, a ton of generational trauma on both sides. I had family that were in concentration camps during the Holocaust, Uh, obviously my Jewish family. And then you know, there is the Korean war and poverty and just so much trauma, um, on that side of the family. And so I've never realized until now how, how much that plays a part in my own conditioning and my makeup, um, you know, my spiritual, emotional, my genetic makeup, um, But my whole life, I have just always been, I've always identified as an outcast. Uh, I've always been the outsider. I never fit in anywhere I was. Um, Growing up in Denver, my neighborhood and my schools were all largely Hispanic. And so that was really the culture that I related to the most. And um, I learned after being in a biracial therapy group that that's called Third culture kid. I'm a third culture kid. And so there's always been this feeling of fluidity where it's like, because I don't fully fit in anywhere, I fit in everywhere. Being here in the US, you know, I've had so many people throughout my life just approach me on the street or when I was working in the service industry and waiting tables, people would just ask me all the time, Where are you from? How is your English so good? No, where are you really from? And, um, you know, always questioning me. And I know that it came from a place of curiosity, um, not because they were being malicious, but it always reminded me that I did not belong, that I was out of place, that I didn't look like everybody there. And when I would go to Korea to visit family, it was the same thing. Everybody would stare at me. Um, especially traveling on the subways and just being out in the city. I've had so many people approach me and approach my mom, asking me where I'm from. And even uh, going on a business trip with my dad to Taiwan when I was a kid, because my dad is white, um, you know, people are coming up to me and talking to me because they assumed I was his translator. And I've just always had so many experiences with the outside world making assumptions about who i am based on my looks and you know also in terms of being a woman and being an asian woman where there's so many fetishes around that identity um in often being targeted by men because of that and even ending up in relationships or situations with people who had this fetish or this idea of me based on how I looked that I would be I I can't even speak to what they (laughs) what they were assuming about what they would get Um, but it's all based on outward appearance and so that has been a very painful journey for me to move through because I'm really learning to detach my sense of identity from how I look externally. And um, it's been really hard for me to work through that because the outside world places so much value on how we look, especially as women. Um, And so identity has always been a really sore spot for me. And now I feel like one of the greatest challenges of my life has been one of the biggest blessings because it has allowed me to know what it's like to be on the outside. And it gives me it gives me an edge in the way that I feel like I'm able to relate to people on a deeper level. Because I think everybody at some point in their lives feels like an outsider, um, regardless of that's race or religion or whatever it is. And, um, I feel really grateful for that experience because it allows me to connect with people in that way. And so it really feels like that's been an important part of learning what my skills are and my superpowers are and how I relate to myself and to others. Um, so it feels like, a very important part of who I am,
0: mm. yeah, I'm also noticing the this theme of what feel like our greatest challenges actually hold the key to our greatest experiences, also like that that was like this idea of a gift wrapped in thorns, and so that every challenge. Or you could say trigger, whatever language you want to use around it is just pointing to an aspect of ourselves that is looking to be to have light shed on it and to be integrated. And so what can be a very wounded, you know, what can come from a very wounded place, which is this idea around our racial identity and especially as children, so much of children's interactions with other children or unfortunately adults, other adults is unconscious. Or or subconscious, you know, we're making these we can't help but to move through the world with these cognitive biases that we just make these you know snap judgments, and that can lead to some pretty unpleasant experiences, and especially when you're just you know just this open, fully feeling ultra sensitive child, it really leaves a scar um and I for sure had some of those experiences when I was younger, living in a predominantly Caucasian area and and went through my own transformation as I went from like being very much identifying with my Asian side because I was the minority in a Caucasian majority and then when I moved to a more urban area in the Washington DC suburbs which is like a mini United Nations all of a sudden in high school kids were not perceiving me as Asian or you know as Korean they were like you're not Korean you're not Asian you're you're Asian. you're (laughs) you're this other category of kid and there are a bunch of other all of a sudden half asian hoppa Asian, Asian. whatever you want to call them kids we were our own sort of subculture yeah it's also been a very fluid sort of shape-shifting experience for me and i also feel like i i have i also went through a reclamation period of my life too where i felt like i really rejected Asian side of myself in order to try to fit in and conform more especially in my college years and then went through uh yeah that reclamation when I moved to Los Angeles again and just like being you know having so much more Korean culture and just Korean culture in general just having this like I mean just it's having its moment (laughs) right now with like you know pop music and cinema and, and (laughs) yeah beauty all of it it's really surreal to I talk about it with my mom all the time it's really surreal to see the mainstreaming of Korean culture within Mm -hmm. American culture and across the world it just seems like it's such a force now and now I have this real pride that I wasn't accessing before at all and so it's just it's just so trippy and And I do think also when working with psychedelics, like in going through these ego dissolution and just accessing all these different aspects of our psyche, it's hard not to have a a moment where you're like, oh my gosh, I'm just a soul, a spirit, whatever you want to say, that was incarnated into this body Mm. that I had no control over. And yes, it informs so much of my lived experience, but I also see that, parts of me that transcend that Mm -hmm. Um, and you can can connect with anyone no matter what they look like you know at that sort of more meta level not to be bypassing any of that but just yeah just awakening to that that meta level of experience Mm um you do you do pay homage to your Korean side with the name of your business Studio Nunchi can you tell us about how you came up with the name and how the, how the name informs your, your business?
1: Yeah. So it's actually funny that you talk about your experience in rejecting your Korean culture and then reclaiming it because I've been going through that same process. And I think especially because my Korean side is tied to my mother, who I've had such a painful and challenging relationship my whole life Um, I spent most of my life rejecting everything that involved that so I didn't want I didn't want to learn Korean I didn't want anything to do with that part of myself and just in the last couple years on my healing journey as I've felt more of a desire to know that shadow side of me heal that wound I've felt more deeply connected to my Korean side and feeling a lot more pride and interest in that. And so when I was thinking about my brand and my company and how I wanted to represent myself, I really felt called to tie my heritage into that. And I spent a lot of time um watching Korean dramas last year and reading books. You know, I read Crying in H Mart, which is a really beautiful story about a half Korean, half Caucasian female, actually from Oregon, and that really resonated with me. And then I read another book that was fictional, but it was about um a Korean girl and her experience in New York and these stories and, um, narratives, a theme kept coming up in everything I was reading and watching, and it was this idea of noonshi, and noonshi is a Korean word, and noon means I, and Nunchi is essentially a sixth sense in Korean culture, and it is the idea that, um, it's like, I don't want to say superpower, but (laughs) you're using the sense to read a room. And in doing that, you're reading the energy of others so that you can create connection, harmony, and trust with them. And something just clicked for me when I was reading one of these books. And I was like, that's it. That is my brand. That is something that I relate to. I mean, obviously, noon, meaning I, that's a visual I need eyes for photography it's a way of seeing the world and seeing people and that approach of really wanting to be intentional um and connecting with people in a way to create trust and harmony is so important to me because I've learned that when you're photography when you're doing photography but especially when you're doing photography where it's like boudoir or say it's You know, I'm photographing in the hospital and my friends are saying goodbye to their son. Like these are very, very intimate, vulnerable moments. And in order to be a witness to those moments, you have to make the other person or other people feel safe. Safety is huge. Trust is huge. And you need to connect with people in order to have that. And that is all very important to me in my creative process and just the way that I live my life. It's kind of, you know, this guiding light that feels very important to me. And it felt important for me to tie that into my brand.
0: Absolutely beautiful. And I would say you definitely bring that to your craft. And we've done events together and shoots together. And you do create such a warm, nurturing, safe, beautiful, playful, environment um to really help people feel comfortable in front of the lens uh, which is saying something for me i was (laughs) i'm still so uncomfortable in front of the camera it's a practice and um you really do have just such a, a, a talent with capturing that essence that that people have and, and really bringing out the light inside of each person and incredible work uh, where can people check out your work and find you online
1: so on Instagram they can find me at studio noonchi pdx and noonchi is spelled n u n c h i and my website is www.studionoonchi pdx.com and i would love for people to drop me a line, just say, hey, always looking for uh, creative collaborations or just to make new friends.
0: And I will include all of those details in the show notes as well. I can't recommend working with Rebecca enough. And this was such a joy and a pleasure. Thank you for joining me.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I was really looking forward to this.
0: Hello, beautiful people. If you enjoyed the podcast, please do hit that subscribe button. And as always, leaving a like or a comment, sharing or leaving a review, all of that is so, so appreciated as we help to grow the podcast. And if you are interested in learning more about my work as a psilocybin facilitator and integrative wellness physician, please do visit my website at www.aluciahealth.com. That's Eleusia E L E U S I A health.com.